0: A very pleasant good morning to each one of you. If you have your Bible, your Old Testament, to open to the passage that our brother Kerry read for us at the beginning of our assembly to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, we will be there in just a moment. It certainly is uh, good to see each one of you. It is a joy and a blessing that we have to come together as God's people to collectively offer our worship and our praise unto Him. And that song that we just sang, to think about how we come before God as we come before Him, bowing down, whether we're doing that physically or just doing that in our hearts and in our minds, to come before God on bended knee, realizing who He is, how great and awesome and wonderful He is, and how unworthy we are as His children, and to come realizing that we are sinners and that God is a sinless God. He is the one that has made provisions to take away our sin, as we have been reminded this morning. And if thinking about all those things do not get you in the proper frame of mind to worship God, I don't know what else will. But it certainly is amazing, and we ought not to lose sight of the fact that we are coming into the presence of God. We always, of course, live in the presence of God every moment of our life. God knows everything about us, even things perhaps we don't know about ourselves, that God knows that. But in a special way, in a unique way, in a unique sense, as we gather together as His people as we are this morning, we have come into His presence for this purpose, to offer our worship and our praise to Him, and how amazing, how humbling it ought to be to each one of us to know that we can come before our great God, and we can come and He will accept our worship if we are in fellowship with Him. I appreciate uh, Brother Gavin preaching last Sunday. I'm sure that he did an excellent job i had had the opportunity on Sunday morning. We were in Wilsonville, Alabama, where my in-laws are, and their assembly doesn't start till ten o'clock in the morning, and so I had the opportunity to listen to most of Gavin's nine o'clock lesson, and he did a, a great job as he always did and I appreciate those of you uh, who have asked about John, my father-in-law Anna's dad. As has been mentioned here the last few months, uh, he is dealing with lymphoma, with cancer, and has had uh, two treatments now, the second treatment uh, last week. But he is just doing really well. Uh, He told us that he was about 90% better uh, after the first treatment than before he took that treatment, and so that certainly is a blessing. He has uh, good medical care there in Birmingham at UAB where he is getting treatments and uh, being seen about. Uh, But as he said, and I think is exactly right, it's not just the doctors that are responsible for where he is today. It is God, our great father, and all the prayers that I know so many of you have offered on his behalf and on uh, Gene's behalf and even the cards that some of you have sent uh, mean a lot to them and mean a lot to us. And so I appreciate that. Uh, Keep the prayers going because they obviously are working as we know that Prayer does work, even when God says, no, we're not right now in answer to our prayers, that God is always listening to us, His children. And God is always answering and giving us exactly what we need. Here in the book of Genesis in chapter 4, at verse 8, our brother Kerry read down through verse 7. But at verse 8, the Holy Spirit identifies the first known murder in human history. It is that of Cain killing his brother Abel. Before he committed that sin, however, God spoke to Cain and he gave him some warnings, some admonitions about sin. And this morning, that's what we want to do. We want to look at what God said to Cain here in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 7 as we learn four valuable lessons about sin. So I want us to go back and just begin by reading this text once again. Read a little bit more than our brother Carrie read just a few moments ago. Let's begin once again at Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1. The writer says to us here Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she says, I have gotten the man child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me, from the ground. I think this is an account that, that probably just about everyone in the auditorium this morning knows, even those who are very young in age. We know about the story, we know about the conversation, we know about what takes place here in Genesis chapter 4. But again, this morning, I want us to look at it from the perspective of what can we take away from this account of Cain killing his brother, the first murder. What are some lessons that we can learn here about sin? The first lesson I want us to notice this morning is, all of these are found, by the way, from verse 7, but it's that choices in our life are very critical. And God, in speaking to Cain, this again is before he has murdered his brother, before he has committed this sin against his brother, he talks to Cain and asks him a question and ask him a question really about the choices that were before him. He says, if you do well, there's going to be some consequences for that. There will be some results of that if you choose to do well. But if you choose to not do well, there will be some results or some consequences to that choice as well. You know, if Cain had chosen, as God was speaking to him here at verse 7, if he had chosen at that particular point to honestly assess his heart, if he had chosen to honestly look at what he was offering to God, if he had chosen to admit that he was wrong, he would have been much better for it, wouldn't he? He had a choice at this particular point. He was standing, I think God was saying to Cain here at verse 7, you are standing at this particular point in your life at a crossroads. And your life from here forward can go one of two ways. You get to choose. You get to decide how you want things to go. We're not told here, obviously, in the passage that we're looking at this morning in Genesis chapter 4, what what it was about uh, Cain's offering that the Lord wasn't pleased with and what it was about Abel's offering that the Lord was pleased with. When you go over to the book of Hebrews, though, and we're not going to take the time to Read this particular verse, but you can open there, at least in your mind, go to that verse. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, that verse states that Abel offered his sacrifice by faith. And I believe that is really the crux of the matter here. That That is what caused Abel's sacrifice to be pleasing to God because he offered it to God by faith. That is what, in my mind, makes it better than Cain's sacrifice. And in saying, the Hebrew's writer telling us that Abel offered his sacrifice, the first of the the flock to God, in saying that that Abel offered his sacrifice by faith, I think it's implied that Cain did not offer his sacrifice by faith. And what that means is that Cain did not offer his sacrifice from the heart. Cain really needed a change of heart. Cain needed a change of disposition. He needed a change of perspective about who God was and the blessings that God had given to him and who he was in relation to God. However, if Cain chose to deny that he was wrong, then God was warning him, as we'll get to here in just a moment, that sin would soon overtake him. But I don't want you to lose fact of this particular point, this first point here in the lesson, that Choices are very critical to our lives because God, again, in verse 7, I believe he was saying to Cain, you have the power. You you have the ability to choose whether you're going to do well or whether you're not going to do well. Which path are you going to take? And of course, we know that Cain chose to give into his anger, as we are told uh, back at verse 5, that Cain was very angry. And his countenance fell, and the Lord asked him there in verse 6, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? Cain chose to give in to that anger, that bitterness, jealousy, resentment, maybe other things that that he was dealing with at that particular point. In essence, Cain chose to let sin control him at this point in his life. But make no mistake about it, it was his choice. This was not God's choice that God was forcing Cain to do what he did. This was not his parents' choice. He couldn't blame Adam and Eve. This was certainly not his brother's choice. It was was Cain's choice. And he chose that he was not going to do well. You know, if he had chosen to do well, things would have gone well for him. As we see here again in verses 5 and 6 says, the writer is telling us, and then God in this conversation with Cain is making the connection with, for us between his anger and his countenance fallen, being fallen. Cain's facial expression could have been that of peace. It could have been that of happiness. It could have been that of contentment if he had only chosen to do better. And yet we know that he chose the worst option here. He chose to sin against God. He chose to sin by murdering his brother. Every day, brothers and sisters and friends, each of us face the same choices that Cain faced. I'm not saying to you this morning that every day we face the choice as to whether we're going to murder our brother or not. But we all face the same basic choice about sin. Are we going to sin? Are we going to not do well and receive the results and consequences of that choice? Or are we going to choose every day, every moment of our life that we're going to do well, that we're going to please God with the life that we live? There are many passages, I think, throughout Scripture that make this particular point, but I want to take you this morning to the book of Ezekiel, and Ezekiel chapter 18. I'm sure many of us know this, this chapter very well. Ezekiel chapter 18, as God is talking to us here, about it's our own individual responsibility that we all have the individual choice to make that a son can't blame his father and a father can't blame his son. A son's not guilty for his father's choices or sins and a a father is not guilty for his son's choices or sins. But each of us are like Cain in this regard. Each of us face the same choice that Cain faced. So read with me here, if you will, from Ezekiel chapter 18, beginning at verse 5. God says if a man is righteous and practices justice and righteousness and does not eat at the mountain shrines or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel or defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman during her menstrual period, if a man does not oppress anyone but restores to the debtor his pledge, does not commit robbery but gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothing. If he does not lend money on interest or take increase, if he keeps his hand from iniquity and executes true justice between man and man, if he walks in my statutes and my ordinances so as to deal faithfully, he is righteous and will surely live, declares the Lord God. Then he may have a violent son who sheds blood and who does... Uh, who does any of these things to a brother, though he himself did not do any of these things. That is, he even eats at the mountain shrines and defiles his neighbor's wife, oppresses the poor and needy, commits robbery, does not restore a pledge, but lifts up his eyes to the idols and commits abomination. He lends money on interest and takes increase. Will he live? He will not live. He has committed all these abominations. He will surely be put to death. His blood will be on his own Head. God is trying to remind his people, Israel, you have a choice. <laughs> you have a choice about which way you're going to live your life. You have a choice about whether you're going to be like me and be a righteous and a just God and show righteousness and justice to those who are oppressed. You, you can be, choose to be like me and take note, special note of those who are needy and those who are hungry and those who are poor. You, you have the choice to be like me and to do all of those good things, or you can choose to be not like me. You can be one who is just looking out for yourself and one who is trying to please yourself, and you can sin. Each of us faces the same choice and principle that Cain faced here in Genesis chapter 4. But here is the amazing thing about God as we continue here in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 18. That even if we get to the point in our life that we have failed God, and who of us has not failed Him at some point? Who among us that has lived for any length of time has not made the choice that Cain made? That we're not going to do well, that we're going to sin against God, that we're going to sin against someone else. But here is the good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is this, that even after we have failed God, we still have the choice to admit our sin to Him And maybe to someone else to repent of that sin, or we can choose to ignore and deny it and go deeper into sin. So listen as God continues to talk here, beginning at verse 21 of the book of Ezekiel chapter 18. He says, but if the wicked man turns from all his sins, which he has committed and observes all my statutes and practices, justice and righteousness, he shall surely live. He shall not die. All his transgressions which he has committed will not be remembered against him. Because of his righteousness which he has practiced, he will live. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than that he should turn from his ways and live? Don't you know as God was talking here to Cain at verse 7, that this was God's true desire toward him. God God being who God is, an omniscient God, knowing everything, I am certain that he knew exactly which choice Cain would make. He knew that just it wouldn't be very long till after God spoke these words, or at least here in the record in verse 8, the next verse, that Cain's going to choose to not do well. He's going to choose to sin. But it is God's desire that no one would sin, that no one would die In wickedness. It it is his desire even today that we would all repent and that we would choose to do well. Our enemy, of course, Satan wants us to choose to not do well. He wants us to get so caught up in the downward spiral of sin that we get to the point where sin just has a death grip on us. But I think we learn from Cain and his example and the words that God spoke to him again back in Genesis 4 and verse 7, that we all have a choice. We all have the power to choose how we will live. So what are we choosing right now? Are we choosing to do well, or are we choosing to not do well? The second lesson about sin that we learned here from Genesis 4 and verse 7 is that sin is always close by. As these words God spoke to Came in this verse that sin is crouching at the door. Just think about that language for a moment. Sin is crouching at the door. The word crouch, according to one Bible dictionary, means this to stretch oneself out or to lie down. And in this particular text, it means that sin has made its lair at the door, it is ready waiting. Another Bible dictionary said that this word means by implication to recline or to lurk. Sin is right there at the door. You don't have to go looking for it. In essence, it is right there and it's coming looking for you. The point is this, that sin is readily available. Sin is easily accessible, especially I think when we are at a time in life that Cain was at here. When we are vulnerable as Cain was in being angry, again, look at verses 5 and 6. The Bible writer says to us that Cain became not just angry, but Cain became very angry. And God takes notice of that and asks him, why are you angry? It's not that God didn't know why he was angry. It's not that God didn't know why his countenance, why his facial expression had changed from maybe that of gladness and rejoicing to that of being sullen and sorrowful. But you know, when we are at these points in our life where we are vulnerable emotionally, (laughs) that can be the time where sin is crouching at the door for us. In our day and time, we all know this, but sometimes we forget it. In our day and time, sin often is as close as the touch of an app on our phone. Sin often is as close as just scrolling up and down a web page. Sin often is as close as the click of a mouse or the push of a button on the remote. It is as close as maybe the turn of a page in a book or a magazine. Sin is so easy to access in our time and in our culture because many sins in our nation are not only condoned, but they are highly recommended. And we could give a whole list of sins. It would probably be just never-ending. But how easy is it for a woman to say, I don't want this child that is growing inside of me. And I'll just walk into a clinic and I'll end that child's life. How easy is it for those of us who are married to say, I don't like my spouse anymore. They, they're not meeting my needs. They, they, they are not... Uh, keeping the promises that they made to me and to God when we said, I do. And so it's just very easy for us to throw them away and to get a divorce. How easy is it in our culture if you're not married or even if you are married to say, well, I'm going to engage in sexual relations with someone who is not my spouse. You don't have to go very far to look for that. How easy is it to say, well, the words that come out of my mouth, that's just who I am. How easy is it for us to have rotten speech? How easy is it for us to cheat or to lie? And maybe nobody really even finds out about that. We think we have covered our tracks. How easy is it for us to say when the saints are gathering on a Sunday or a Wednesday or whenever the case may be that, you know, I just don't feel like being there. I'm just going to slack off this one time. And yeah, I'll go the next time they meet or the next week that we are getting together. It is so, so easy because sin is so accessible. As God spoke these words to Cain so long ago, it remains true for us that sin is always just around the corner. And here is somewhat of the bad news, the depressing news sometimes, that sin never goes away. The temptations are always there. And so we must do, as we talked in the previous point, we must be people who are choosing not to open the door to sin. Whatever it is, whatever it is that appeals to our fleshly desires and our fleshly lusts that would be in opposition to God's will, and it's not going to be the same for me as it is for you, but we must be people who are choosing to not open the door so that sin cannot come into our life and sin cannot take up residence within our hearts. The Apostle Peter gives us a correct view, a true view of our enemy, the devil. In 1 Peter chapter 5 at verse 8, 1 Peter 5 at verse 8, he encouraged those Christians and us. He says, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The point that I want you to take away from this verse is this, that Satan doesn't get tired. Satan doesn't give up. <laughs> Satan, no, he is our enemy. He is constantly on the prowl. He is constantly spreading lies. He is always providing opportunities for us to sin. He knew just as well as God knew, just as well as Cain knew that he was very angry and that Cain was very vulnerable at this particular point in his life. And Cain unfortunately let his anger cook until it became wrath, which turned into murder. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul gives us this warning about anger, but I think it's a warning about a lot of emotions that we experience in life. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 26, he says, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger or on your wrath. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Isn't that interesting? Paul was encouraging the the saints in Ephesus and us today that you need to make sure that you are in control of yourself, that you are in control of your emotions, that you are in control of your thoughts, and you're in control of your actions. Because if you do not, it's not just with anger, but it could be other things that could lead to sin. But especially as he highlights anger here, he says, when we are angry... When we are very angry, maybe angry with ourselves or angry with other people, or sometimes maybe even angry with God, if we are not careful and watchful, if we're not being on the alert, as Peter encouraged and urged us to do in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, that Satan will turn that into an opportunity to sin. And so I don't have this verse here on the screen, but toward the end of this chapter at verse 31, this is why Paul says here on the flip side... We need to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And instead, we need to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has also forgiven us. Don't lose this point in Genesis 4 and verse 7, that sin has and always will be just outside the door. We have a choice to make every day of our life, every moment of our life. Are we going to keep that door shut or are we going to open it wide? The third lesson from Genesis 4 and verse 7 in this story about Cain and Abel is that sin wants to be your master. God said to Cain in warning him about which path he could go down, he said that sin's desire is for you. Sin is not content to be there for our occasional fulfillment and enjoyment. Sin does not want to be our servant. No, sin wants to be our master. It's not content for us to just pick it up whenever it's convenient for us. It wants to dominate our lives. Sin wants to move in and establish permanent residence In our lives, it wants to move into our homes, into our families. It wants to move into local groups of God's people that we call churches. It wants to move into businesses. It wants to move into schools. It wants to move into our recreational activities. It wants to move into our relationships in life and our friendships. Sin wants to have total dominion over us. And that is true because Satan, the one from whom sin comes wants to have total control of us. As you think about that particular truth, I want you to consider the words of the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans in chapter 6 as he is writing to these Christians and trying to remind them and encourage them that they have died with Jesus Christ. They have been raised with Jesus Christ when they put on Christ in baptism. And therefore, they are to be people who are walking in newness of life. But he said to them, beginning at verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but under grace. What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? Notice in just a few verses here how often Paul uses this kind of language that we're talking about here from Genesis 4 and verse 7 about this relationship between us and sin, that that there is a master-slave, master-servant relationship, and sin wants to be our master, and it wants us to be its slave. Paul says here, this is what you did. When you put on Christ, you were clothed with Christ, you died, and now you are alive to Jesus Christ, back at verse 11. But here is what it means practically in your life every day. That you have to make the choice again, as we talked about already. You have to choose every day that you're not going to let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust, so that it won't be master over you. You have to choose because sin wants to become your master. Someone would be Cain's master, and someone will be our master. And the only two choices when you really boil it down to it are this, that we can either have Satan and sin as our master or we can have God and righteousness as our master. And so whether you realize it or not, each day, each moment that we draw breath, we're choosing one or the other. So which master are you choosing? And then the fourth and final lesson that we can learn here from the words of God to Cain in Genesis 4 and verse 7 is that you must master sin. If we desire to be people who are pleasing to our great God, we must. We must master sin. We have no other choice. Because the only other choice is what we already said this morning, that sin is going to master us. And so we must control sin. We must remove it from our lives rather than letting sin control us, rather than letting sin take up residence within us. And you might be saying, well, that's really hard to do. (laughs) And it is difficult. It's not the easy way to live life. And you might even be asking this morning as you're thinking about your own life, maybe it is the case that there is some Temptation in your life that is beginning to take hold in your life, that there is some sin in your life that's really taking root in your heart, and you just think, there's no way that I can defeat this thing. There's no way that I can get this out of my life. Can we master sin? Is it possible? Well, God told Cain here in Genesis 4 and verse 7 that you must master it, you must master sin. And so how do we do that? How do we master sin? Well, let me just give you a few ways to think about. We need to realize, first of all, that we have power over Satan. Genesis, or Ephesians, Genesis, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. The Apostle Paul talks to us there about the armor of God and, and how important it is for us to put on every piece of the armor of God every day that we live. But he reminds us at the beginning of that text, That we can, in the strength of our Lord Jesus Christ, we can stand up and we can resist the devil. He says much the same thing or James does in James chapter 4 and verse 7: resist the devil and he will flee from you. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 9. After telling us the bad news about who our enemy is there in verse 8, then he gives us the good news in verse 9, and he says, You can resist him firm in faith. It is possible to know that not only you, but even your brothers and sisters in Christ, as they are suffering all over the world, that it's possible for all of us who are children of God to master sin, to stand up to Satan and say, I'm not letting you in the door. Now, to be sure, this power doesn't come from ourselves. This power comes from God. Again, Ephesians chapter 6, you go in the strength of the Lord and in the power of His might, but it is very much real. When we are submitting ourselves to God and we are resisting Satan, we have the power over Satan. He is a very powerful being. But through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we have the power to master sin. Secondly, we need to remember, as Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, who God is, that God is faithful, that God knows our limitations when it comes to temptation, that God always provides a way of escape. But we again, as we spoke of at the very beginning of our lesson this morning, we have to make the choice. We have to decide that we're going to take that way of escape. God God doesn't leave us in a situation where there is absolutely no way out, where we are just destined and doomed to fail and to fall and to sin against Him. It was true for Cain. As hard as that was for him, as he was overtaken in anger at that particular point, he still had a way of escape. And so do we that God, because He is God, because He is a faithful God, He will always provide a way for us to overcome. And sometimes that will mean, many times that will mean, that we need to look to Jesus Christ, our great example. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 12, what a a wonderful, comforting passage this ought to be to all of us. Whether we see ourselves in Hebrews 11 or not, whether we think we are people of great faith or not, Hebrews chapter 12, at verse 1, here is the conclusion of the writer to all that he has said back in chapter 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Things we've already talked about this morning from Genesis 4. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He is trying to encourage these Christians that are thinking about Considering the possibility, it seems here in this book of Hebrews, of just walking away from Jesus Christ and going back to the world. And he says, this may be difficult to walk this life of faith. This may be difficult to choose the right path to take. But if you will look to Jesus, He will give you the strength. And He will give you the energy. And He will give you the motivation that you need to master sin. I don't have verse 4 on the screen, but I think it fits so well with verses 1 through 3. As the writer goes on to say here in Hebrews chapter 12, you have not resisted, yet resisted, to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Was it easy for Jesus to go to the cross and to lay down his life, not for his own sin, but for our sins? No. But he is our example to follow. And so we all... Still have a ways to go, I'm sure, but we can master sin if we will look to him. Just like Cain, someone will be my master and someone will be your master. Either you and I will master sin or it will master us. So which are you choosing this very day? Sin, of course, is everywhere. Since the first sin that Adam and Eve committed... Back in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, sin has been everywhere. It is crouching at your door and it is crouching at mine. Don't don't think for a moment just because I'm the preacher preaching this sermon this morning that sin's not a problem for me. It is crouching at your door and it's crouching at mine. And sin, Satan desires to rule our life and desires to take us along for the ride, but you and I... We must be people who lean on the Lord. We must be people who draw from His strength and master sin, or we will soon find that it has taken up residence within us and it has become our master. So the choice is yours as we close the lesson this morning. Will you be like Cain and will you allow sin to become Lord of your life? Or will you heed the warnings that God gave him? And would you choose this day, day, this hour, to serve God? Even though, yes, occasionally you're going to sin. The choice is yours and the choice is mine. Are you going to choose this morning as we're about to sing this song of edification and encouragement and invitation? Are you going to choose this morning to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved from your sins? Or are you going to choose not to do that? God's not twisting your arm. God's not forcing you to do one or the other. He has left the choice with you and he's left the choice with me. God's desire, as is our desire, is that you would choose to call upon the Lord, that you would submit to Him this morning, submit your entire self to Him, that you would come before Him confessing your faith that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God who came to this world to take away our sins, and He's the only one that can do that. And you can come this morning repenting of your sins. Repentance is very hard. It requires that we humble ourselves as we've been talking about in Cody's class. You can come this morning and you can be baptized into Christ. Have all of your sins washed away. And you can rise from the waters of baptism to walk in newness of life. And you are stating at that point to God and to yourself and to everyone else that I'm not going to let sin be my master anymore. That as difficult as it may be, as painful as it may be from henceforth, I'm going to master it with the Lord's grace and mercy and help. If you're on that journey with Jesus Christ throughout this life, if you have, are called as a follower of His, but you have sinned against our great God, you can get back on the path. All you have to do is humble yourself and admit that to God and turn away from that, and He will help you in that. Whatever your condition might be this morning, if we can help you in some way, once want you to respond to the invitation of Christ as we stand and as we sing. I will